Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm so excited to get us started, kick this incredible day of Owl Explains programming off with this panel that addresses a question that is a very much a key to the mission and the work that we do with Owl Explains. And that is the question of whether the nature of the asset matters. You might have noticed on your way in a tree with some branches on it, and that is what we call the Web3 tree, Web tree, tree of Wisdom. And the Web3 tree, tree of Wisdom outlines some key guidelines for policymakers and regulators when it comes to thinking about blockchain, crypto, Web3. Um, the, the question of this panel very much touches on branch number three, which is a call for sensible token classification. Um, there is a tendency when it comes to proposed regulation and um, you know, general uh, guidelines to lump all virtual assets together into the category of financial instruments. So the, the, really the basic uh, thought behind what we do at Owl Explains with this question is that tokenization simply is a representation of an asset in a blockchain. And that is where we should begin and when thinking about the, the nature of the asset. So um, I'm very excited to have these amazing panelists with us today. Three of them are our own at Avalabs. Um, so very excited. Well, I'll start with Lily um, Tesler from Sidley, Josh Hecht, um, venture um, investor at Blizzard the Avalanche Fund, and Matias Antonio, he's head of treasury at Avalabs, Patrick O'Grady, engineer at Avalabs. So we, the, the four of them are gonna address this question from very different perspectives, um, and we'll get us thinking and started for the rest of the day. So Josh, let's, let's start with you. Um, does the nature of the asset matter? From a venture investor point of view, yes, absolutely. Uh, I deal with uh, illiquid assets and trying to figure out what are their, their future value that's going to be. And when we look at that, uh, the nature of the asset really does matter and really does differ. There are various types that we look at. Uh, we've seen, of course, uh, uh, NFTs, which represent uh, uh, one of one, uh, either something digital or uh, something in the real world. We see uh, traditional equity or security tokens um, that really uh, give you some say in, uh, in how the company is operated or some vote. Uh, we see GameFi tokens, um, which is a, its, own, its own asset type and often has multiple pieces to it as well. Uh, some for governments, governance, some for points, some for rewards. Uh, I certainly see plenty of utility tokens as well. So a, a token that represents uh, the use of something uh, such as uh, could be bandwidth or memory or ability to, uh, to stake for some of those on a network. And, uh, and DAO tokens as well, which is a direct economic ownership as well as a, a say in how the, how the DAO operates. So yes, there are many different types from my point of view and the nature of what it's supposed to do certainly does matter. And just a, a quick follow-up question there. How do you deal with um, you know, those different nature types when it comes to thinking about your strategy and in, in investing? I think about it from a, um, 
economic incentives point of view. How are people going to use these uh, in the future, and therefore what type of value is going to be assigned to them? Uh, and that, uh, that helps me evaluate, understanding the, the true economics, the behavioral pieces of it, and what the incentives are. That really helps uh, understand what the, the nature is of how we want to invest. Thank you, Josh. Uh, great points. Lily, um, from the legal and regulatory point of view, we know that you know, this question matters a great deal. Um, so how do you approach this question with uh, your practice? Yeah, so certainly, definitely the classification does matter with the digital and any type of asset, whether digital or not, um, and in terms of what the right path is in, in considering both legal and regulatory considerations. So first, I would say we start with what the asset represents and then go into thinking about what is the right legal regulatory framework to, to consider in light of the asset's uh, characteristics or, or the way the asset is offered and sold. So looking to the... Um, token classification that, that um, was mentioned earlier. First type of asset, for example, a physical asset. An example of that could be a tokenized gold product. So any type of physical real world asset can be tokenized. So for example, tokenized gold, we'd start with the premise of you know, gold itself is a commodity. So we should first look to the commodities laws and see how that asset, tokenized or not, would be considered under the commodities laws. In the US, um, any trading or spot commodities trading um, is regulated as a money services business with federal regulators such as FinCEN. They're regulated as money transmission services in certain U.S. states. Other countries may have different classifications with respect to commodities in those um, jurisdictions. So I think that's an important starting point with respect to a digital asset uh, or tokenized asset of a physical commodity. Um, in the U.S. also, the CFTC may have jurisdiction if there are derivative swaps or futures on that commodity. The second type of asset that I look to is you know, the services token that's also mentioned in the token classification. In that instance, it's a digital representation of services to be provided. So whether it's digital music or digital art, what's most relevant from a legal perspective in that type of asset may be IP rights or terms and conditions, contractual rights that are coupled with that digital um, services that, that are offered. So we'd look to those um, areas of regulation as, as a first step. Certainly there may be others that are applied after the fact, but it's important to kind of figure out what is the primary legal and regulatory regime. Next, the third category is intangible assets. And this is one that Josh mentioned, you know, tokenized equity is a digital security. And so certainly the securities laws may be the right regulatory regime to start with in analyzing what a digital security is, whether it's tokenized, form on a blockchain or whether it's a digital security in a centralized ledger that has nothing that's not associated with the blockchain. The U.S. federal securities laws, state securities laws would be relevant. Most likely securities laws in other countries also um, would be relevant to that type of asset. If you look at an intangible asset as tokenized real estate or ownership in real estate, there's a whole other area of um, regulations that apply to real estate in general that would need to be analyzed in the context of that asset. Next, um, and I think an area that um, many in this room care about are native DLT tokens. So tokens created on a blockchain ledger where there's a native asset, such as Bitcoin, ETH, AVAX, um, with respect to the Avalanche blockchain. These are intangible assets, each that have unique features of, in the technology, unique use cases. So in the US, for example, these assets may, may be commodities, referred to as also convertible virtual currencies by some of the 
banking regulators, the money transmission laws. Um, so all that is going to be important, but also not to be confused with the offer and sale of that same asset may be offered and sold if it's through fundraising as an investment contract. And it's really important when you think about the securities laws, especially in applying the well um, talked about uh, test in SEC versus Howey, the Howey test, um, to think about that that test really applies to the offer and sale of a digital asset that may be a commodity or, or maybe a convertible virtual currency, not the asset itself. And so the nature of the offering and the facts and circumstances surrounding the investment contract is also extremely important in, in analyzing the securities law applications to that offering. And that might be separate and distinct from the asset that is the subject of that investment contract. And, and that's important in terms of how, how to think about um, the asset distinct from the investment contract. And then the last category I want to cover is stable coins, another bucket of classification. And it's a little different than the other types that I mentioned, because here tokens may be you know, create, maybe backed by a fiat currency, maybe pegged um, algorithmically or otherwise to a stable currency. But in each of these instances, um, the, the underlying assets um, that, that underlie the stable coin may also matter, not just what the asset itself represents. It may be subject to different regulatory characterizations as a result. So for example, if it's a commodity pool or at the assets underlying the stable coin or commodities, they have different regulations under the commodities laws, for example, in the US versus assets that um, create some type of pooled investment vehicle, which are subject to Investment Company Act registration. So you know, I, I, that provides a bit of a flavor of the different types of legal regulatory regimes. Just, you know, I think mostly I talked about from a US perspective, because that's the area of law that I primarily practice. But I think other regulatory regimes around the world have, have also their own regulations that may apply to each of these um, classifications. Thank you. Um, Matthias, over to you. Um, does the nature of the asset matter when trading and if so, um, how does that affect how assets are traded? Yeah, um, very much the asset class uh, and the nature of it matters for a variety of reasons. Um, one of them, of course, is valuations, how you think through what is the value of that particular asset class, right? The way that you think through equities, uh, ca classically, is through cash flows, right? And if you have dividends, it changes, right? Uh, how, how you think through holding that particular asset class, what is the structural drivers behind uh, the movements of those valuations, and that ultimately will define what's the portfolio fit across uh, the variety of investors that exist out there. If you look at just the yield curve uh, and, and a very simple bond, right, the people uh, or investor types that live within the zero to one part of the curve are fundamentally different than the ones that are, uh, you know, beyond the 10-year. These are pension funds versus banks, and the way that they're going to think through how they're holding these assets also will change. Pension funds may not hold it to maturity, whereas banks will. You know, and as we're seeing now, that, that matters also in accounting, right? Because now a lot of the banks are getting wrecked because of these reasons. And, and these uh, players will matter because they are the ones that, as the asset class and valuations move around, there's going to be portfolio uh, rebalancings that need to occur. And that's what leads to these locations, which ultimately will lead to some of the trading behaviors that you're going to see um, across different asset classes. And they're going to be fundamentally different in the way that they all behave. Now, in the case of tokens, um, you know, that, then it gets more, there's much more heterogeneity 
and even overlaps across asset classes, right? There's some tokens that have equity-like uh, components or primitives, if you want to think through, the, uh, you know, think it that way, um, and even have some that are yield generating in and of themselves, right? So how, how these are going to trade, it's, it's, it's going to change, right? Because ultimately, it will always come down to what's the portfolio fit of that particular asset class and which are the investors that are in it. Um, you know, and, 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 and it moves around a lot. You know, you, you have VE token, these famous Venom tokens that they're basically not tradable, but if you wrap them, now you can trade them, right? So, and NFTs as well. What is an NFT in the floor versus uh, the NFT that, that is unique versus everything in the middle? That's going to define the liquidity properties too. And, and also, you, you have situations in which the derivatives market have can have a fundamental impact in the way that it trades. So, for instance, um, you know, if you look at the deliverable, I can't speak in it, <laughs> um, the, the bonds that are delivered uh, within futures, right? If, you, if you're trading the 10-year futures, they will all trade special. The cheapest to deliver will always trade special. And, and you're going to see it in the price versus the others are not, right? So, and, and that will matter in the liquidity of that particular special bond that it trades versus all of the other ones that are off the run. So there are numerous reasons why, why the asset, uh, you know, the nature of the asset does matter, um, you know, and, 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 and does impact not just in the way that you think through the portfolio fit, but also in the way that it trades it. You know, and even it, does it, are there quantitative funds behind uh, this, this trading behavior? Then it's going to have a lot of momentum, maybe some mean reversion, you know, is it, is it, you know, more hold to maturity. Yeah. So to answer your question, it does matter a lot. So we have three yeses so far. Um, Pog, you are an engineer. You build the platforms on which these assets live. Does this question matter to you? Does code care what the nature of the asset is? I don't uh, oft get asked to be on legal panels. So <laughs> excited to, to engage here. So yeah. Um, on the engineering side, when we think about what the platform is capable of, uh, our real goal is to provide as generic and uh, open and flexible of a computing service as we can so that people can create different assets types that we may not have possibly conceived of. And some of the um, interesting maybe L1s or L2s, but that have not really taken off, have tried to be too prescriptive with the types of assets that are allowed. And what we have seen time and time again, at least in different more flexible ecosystems, is that the um, virtual machines that let you describe an asset on the fly and then evolve it over time have become vastly more popular because it lets people anywhere in the world that have very different ideas about what an asset could actually be to deploy them in a way that anyone can interact with without any permission from anybody. If I wanted to deploy a token, change up all this stuff, I wouldn't have to come up to someone on stage here or come up to Avalanche and ask, like, hey, can I deploy this? I could just go do it. And I think that that's one of the most exciting aspects of engineering in this space is that um, if you have a good idea, you can just run with it. And then someone you've never met 5,000 miles away can use it. So from our side, there's an infinite number of possible combinations to make an asset. Um, and to us, yes, that the choices you make there are arbitrary. Our goal is more so to empower people to make those choices. Excellent. So um, I'll go back around through you, Pog, again. Um, can the nature of the asset change? And if so, perhaps this is a question for 
um, you know, our other three panelists, what are the ramifications from your perspective? Yeah, I, I think um, as blockchain ecosystems have become more connected and have started to scale more, the a way for assets to move and change has vastly uh, increased. So a simple example would be if an asset is defined on some L1, and then now you move that asset to an L2, well, technically, you're now in a totally different environment. You could describe that as a bridged or a derivative asset of like some sort of original asset that had provenance elsewhere. There's also different ways that people are trying to scale blockchains by creating like uh, basically uh, on-chain representations of compressed balances of data. And so what if your balance is defined in some compressed format, but you need the help of someone else to actually generate a proof that allows you to move that asset? Technically, the security is provided by the blockchain that that you know, compressed payload is on, but you still need to work with someone to actually generate any transfer of funds or prove your balance. Uh, and then lastly, I think there's also a lot of uh, ZK work and zero knowledge work and then also encrypted um, balance work. If you can prove your balance, but no one else can, or maybe you can prove that you can transfer some amount, but no one actually knows how much you potentially have, does that make it very different? And so I think there's a lot of open questions around provenance, how people can interact with it, whether it's you, the owner, or other people in the community, or regulators for that matter. And then as an asset moves across platforms, whether that be into L2s or into across bridges, uh, does the origin versus the current network that the asset is on change its characteristics? Because you could argue that in the case of the US, like if you take some sort of contract for a commodity, then bring that contract to another country and then pool those up and trade them for something else. I think a lot of people would say that the thing you're trading in that other country is probably not the exactly the same thing as the source. Well, you can do that times a thousand on crypto. So it's interesting to see how that will kind of play into the rules generation process that people are pursuing. Matthias, any thoughts? Um, yeah, so that, I mean, for me, it's a yes and a no. <laughs> because uh, in traditional finance, the, the, there is such um, structural legal reasons why you cannot change the nature of the asset class, right? A stock is never, ever, 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 ever going to be a bond. I, I don't care what you do, <laughs> right? And, and, and there's reasons for it, right? Um, however, when you're talking about DeFi, it gets interesting. The reason is um, that you have a lot of compostability. So you can have assets that you can give new primitives to it by simply um, allowing you to do things with it. I think an interesting example is Joe, for instance, right? Um, this is a, a, a one of the DEXs in Avalanche. And, and Joe in itself is just a governance token, but you're able to stake it, now you're earning yield. You're able to, to, to do other things with it, right? And, and even maybe lend it as well. So in a way, um, the nature of it uh, within the blockchain, uh, let's say, construct, you can create, you can add primitives that weren't there before, out of nowhere, right? So in a way, you are changing uh, the nature of it by changing or, or enabling new uses of it. Um, but in traditional finance, this, this is never going to happen uh, because mm, there's legal reasons and structural reasons why uh, compostability is just not possible in the same, in the same way. Lilia, over to you. Yep. And so I would say similar, Mateus, it depends on which asset. There are a lot of different types of assets. Certainly a digital IP of digital art or digital music, it is what you, know, what you buy at the outset or what you 
great at the outset will, will most likely um, stay the same and the legal um, and contractual terms and conditions would be the same. But for a block, it gets very creative and interesting when you talk about blockchain native DLT tokens because um, we can look at them and the legal characterization and regulatory overlay at an early stage of a blockchain development um, or even before a blockchain is launched has certain anticipated features. They may um, be used by some, but over time, the code could be changed, elaborate. There could be a lot more use cases of that token, and I think that changes the legal and regulatory landscape. But not just of that token, but also the intermediaries that support the token. And I think that's, that's important is, is we've been talking about the nature of the asset for um, a user of a network or an initial holder of a, of a token, but it's also the asset in this classification matters for intermediaries that may support trading or transfer or um, may support certain uses um, as intermediaries on a network. And as the network evolves, a network becomes more decentralized or is decentralized, has many other um, developers on it. That all goes to the facts and circumstances around the legal regulatory characterization, for example, in the US and how you apply the Howey test to a decentralized network, or even if a Howey test needs to apply because it's a securities law analysis. So to the extent that those later transactions are not securities transactions, some of that legal framework may no longer apply. It may only apply at the outset, as I mentioned earlier, when an investment contract um, is offered and sold. So I, I certainly think it does matter um, over time, especially for blockchain native tokens on, on how you think about the, the regulations and, and, and um, reevaluate re the, the token for everyone involved. Josh? In exactly the same way that startups um, evolve and adapt to the competitive environments or to markets um, or pivot to an entirely new business model, uh, yes, absolutely, we've seen a, a lot of changing of the nature or the intention of an asset. Uh, and even amongst our portfolio that we've amassed in the past year and a half uh, as Blizzard, um, we've seen a number of, of companies change what they're doing with the asset uh, and something that we may hold um, as you know, was a security was converted towards something else or now has a new utility to it. So certainly we see the evolution of the assets as well as the businesses. Excellent. Okay, so I see the, the clock is um, over. <laughs> but um, thank you to our um, panelists for you know, these really interesting points of view um, on uh, this question. Please look at... Um, the Owl Explains Tree of Wisdom on our website. You will see a lot more uh, details and there's pamphlets all over um, this room where we really flesh out the, the Tree of Wisdom and these five key branches to guide policymaking and uh, regulation um, of digital assets. So thank you so much, everybody.